0: Church. Um, you, you are in our hearts and minds regularly. Um, thank you for choosing this passage uh, from Matthew chapter five. I, I find this a very difficult passage. Um, I was I did a year at Bible college and um, I had to do a sermon outline on the um, verse about salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how it can, can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled down." Um, sadly, I got just about nil for my sermon outlines. <laughs> so, so you may not be up too much this morning. You may not get very far this morning. I hope so. Um, so I found this one you know, interesting and a challenge. And, um, i'm going to give you some information i hope and some facts and some thoughts but you're going to have to think a lot of it through yourself and and see how it applies to you i want to start off by saying god is more interested in dealing with broken relationships than broken law did you get that this is really important God is more interested in restoring a broken relationship than he is bringing condemnation for breaking laws. I'd like this to be practical. Now I look at these things and I get very theological about it and wrapped up in it and I think how, how is this going to help us today? We need to go away knowing that we've, we've drawn close to God, we've been encouraged and helped in daily life so I hope that through this you'll find something of that so I'm going to talk about a little bit about salt and then a bit about light one of the things that makes this difficult for me is it talks about salt losing its saltiness but that, that is scientifically impossible salt cannot lose its saltiness you put it in water and it dissolves it's still salty so I wonder why he used an illustration which says that salt loses its saltiness perhaps it was to emphasize something for us perhaps to bring home the essence of what he was saying you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It's the only rock, apparently, that men or people eat. Did you know that? The only rock that we as people eat. Curious. And if you eat too much of it, it's not good for you, is it? Yet it's essential for life. If you drink salt water, it does you absolutely no good at all. But you do need salt. It's made up of two elements, sodium and chlorine. I I just scraped by chemistry at school. Sodium, if I recall, if you chuck it a piece of sodium in water, it spontaneously explodes. I have a memory of our chemistry teacher doing that and ending up with a mess all over the chemistry lab. And chlorine. Well, we know about chlorine, don't we especially if you go into the swimming pool, and it hits the back of your throat, and it's aggressive and horrible. Sodium and chlorine, in God's wisdom, together make salt. Salt is essential to life. I understand that there was a time when possibly the Roman soldiers were paid their salary in salt because it was so valuable. Salt, as you well know, adds or draws out flavour. How many of you put lots of salt on your roast potatoes? When we were at school we we used to get little um, strips of, thick strips of bread like this and when they were fresh they were fantastic but when they were stale they were awful. So we used to get salt and spread salt all over them to make them palatable. So salt brings flavour and uh, salt preserves doesn't it Um, I don't know if you've had a go at preserving Um, I've I've had a spell of uh, baking bread and one of the things I like to put in bread is lemon and poppy seed and not least because it puts a smile on my wife's face when I make that bread but I use preserved lemon And uh, you can go into Sainsbury's and pay a lot of money for it. Or you can cut the peel off the lemon, put it in a jar with a lot of salt, leave it for a couple of months, and it comes out preserved. Curious, isn't it? You put salt in it, yet the lemon comes out with a much stronger lemon flavour. And if you just get rid of the excess salt, it doesn't taste salty. It actually uh, fills your mouth with the flavour. And you can do that with lots of um, vegetables. Salt preserves. In Leviticus it says, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt and numbers all the offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you and in chronicles it says should you not know that the lord god of israel gave dominion over israel to david forever to him and his sons by a covenant of salt i was asked uh, early part of last year by somebody in the church says what's a covenant of salt michael and i had to say to him i don't recognize that expression (laughs) but there it is a covenant of salt i wonder what it means is it that it's bringing, it's, it's seasoning this relationship? Is it an evidence of preserving this relationship? Does it suggest that there is a, an eternal element to this relationship? As we look at salt, we need to bear the, um, that, that use of it in um, offering and in sacrifice. There are expressions. There is bread and salt between us. A relationship confirmed by a meal. Much of the Old Testament, when there are agreements to be made, they sit down and eat together. And the salt is evidence of a relationship. So when you want to do a deal with somebody, you'd sit down. I think this is an excellent idea. You sit down and have a meal. And you salt that meal, it becomes an unbreakable relationship, a friendship. In Leviticus it says that's evidence of the relationship between God and Israel. It brings friendship, peace and life. Salt preserves, it talks of an enduring relationship. Salt purifies. The relationship that God brings grants purity. Salt seasons. The relationship we have with God is enhanced. It's more than the sum of the individual parts. It's adding something which elevates it and improves it. Light. I got completely lost on this, going through scripture and looking at light. There is so much about light, and so much which isn't obvious. Light and darkness appear in many forms in scripture. Neither is implicitly good or implicitly evil. It's very easy to think, oh, you know, darkness, that must be bad. Light, that must be good. Did you notice at the end of the Exodus reading um, that, that God was, cloud, was cloaked in darkness? We don't often think of that. We think of God as light. But in the Old Testament it says that he was cloaked in darkness. Go back to creation and there's darkness over the world and, bring, and God brings light into that situation. As I said in Exodus 20 there was thick darkness where God was I am not a Hebrew scholar but I understand there are two different words for darkness (laughs) one which relates to that light and darkness at creation another one which relates to the darkness which God clouds himself with in the Old Testament light is important first of all in the tabernacle the tent that, God, that um, Moses made to be a meeting place with God and then in the temple in both there were candles there were candelabra there were lights which had to be kept burning they were the evidence of presence do you uh, go out at th- uh, sometimes and leave the light on so it looks as if there's somebody at home Light is an evidence of presence. (coughs) I, I, I read somewhere that in Israel, back in biblical times, if somebody went out and it was dark, they'd put the light on so that they could find their way home. We don't think of that, do we? Because our streets are beautifully lit. But if you go somewhere that is truly dark you won't be able to find your way home. We we have a friend who lives in New Zealand and he moved house from a city into the mountainous area at the bottom of the southern uh, island and uh, on his first night there he thought, I'm going to go out and look at the stars. I'm going to go out and enjoy the night. And he walked to the end of his drive and he found he was lost. He couldn't see the way home and so they would light a light so that they could find their way home. The light in the temple and in the tabernacle were the evidence of God's presence where you find and meet God but the same applies that it was showing you the way home. the candles were lit and kept burning. In both the tabernacle and the temple, um, when they were completed, they were places for meeting with God and so they expected God's presence to be there. And in Exodus 24, now I've written down the wrong reference, but the, the, what I wanted to get was the import of God's presence in the temple. So when God entered the temple, there was his glory and it had a presence do you remember that they couldn't do anything in the temple because of the glory of god it was a weight it was a heaviness it was a presence not not a heaviness in the sense of being a burden but it was a sense of presence and glory and honor and in exodus 24 um This was the the other reference I was thinking of. The glory of God looked like a consuming fire. Can you imagine what that was like? Fearsome, the glory of God like a consuming fire. And and when Moses met with God, he came down from the mountain, absolutely radiant, so radiant he had to cover his face. When we come into the New Testament... We find in John's Gospel that there's this statement, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have read already today, haven't we, that you are the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, you are. The light of the world an amazing amazing gifting of god that he sees us as he sees jesus at the transfiguration there was radiant light I, i'm not quite sure how i'm not sure that i can imagine that radiance i was t- talking to a lady the other day and i said to her have you ever been to a alpha course she spent the next 40 minutes telling me her testimony she said i was in church in guildford not really engaged i come from a buddhist background and suddenly i had a revelation of jesus and it was so radiant i was captivated she said I didn't know what else was going around uh, around me but I had this brilliant vision. He was so bright. She said, I don't know the scriptures but when she talked to the pastor about it he said, "Mm, just like the transfiguration. She read it. She said, that is exactly what I saw. But we also must remember that Uh, in 2 corinthians it says for even satan disguises himself as an angel of light we can't just take light to be the presence of god and then i want to spend just a couple of minutes thinking about god's desire for us what does god want with us well, God wants to live with his people. You might ask why. <laughs> when you look around, when we think of what was prayed for, the, the, the terrible state of this world, and God says, I want to live among you, we see that first in Eden, don't we? The perfection that God created and uh, God walking in the garden Now that is something I can associate with. Just a beautiful garden. And God walking with me. When the people were led out of Egypt, they built a tabernacle so that God could live among them. And wherever they had to move, they had to have God's presence. So the tabernacle was built... To represent the the, uh, dwelling place of God and the people came to the tabernacle uh, to meet with God. And Moses met with God at the door of the tabernacle. And then when the temple was built this again was to be a permanent place for the Israelites to live with God or God to live with the Israelites. It was built to a very specific um, design to show that God's dwelling place was here among the people. And then when we come to the New Testament, we find that God has desired to indwell us, to live in us, which he does by his Holy Spirit. And, And then that brings Christ into our lives, doesn't it? Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then in Revelation we find that his ultimate purpose is a new heaven and a new earth and he doesn't stay in heaven but he wants to come to earth to live with his people, his bride. God desires to live with his people. But through all of these situations where God wants to live with us, there is one prerequisite. And that is, because God is holy, we need to be holy. If we are not holy, God cannot live with us. And then we turn to the context of Matthew chapter 5. And the, the context is a large crowd Jesus goes up the mountain and his disciples come to him and and the picture there is of Moses going up to the mountain to meet with God there was a heavy significance about this and Jesus sits down and teaches them God gave the law to Israel in order that he could live among them god gave christ to fulfill the law that we can be made holy so that he may live among us and ultimately the new earth may be a dwelling for him and for his bride the church sense of restoring eden It's worth noting that Christ came to fulfil the law and not to obey the law. His simple obedience of the law would have been enough for himself, but his fulfilment of the law enabled us to receive that holiness of God. Because we could never obey the law. Can Can I give you an illustration? Johnny, take me the other end of this. this. This is my practical bit. Just go down that way a little bit. Don't need to be very far. That, that's lovely. That's lovely. Yes, just put it on the floor. That's great. You can tell what job I used to do. This is, this is old technology. Use lasers. Right. So, this is the law. Alright? So, Johnny, if you want to walk, walk on the line. You've got to walk on the line. Okay? Yeah. yeah. It's really difficult, isn't it? The law is like that. Excellent. Thank you. You, you You explain that beautifully. When you've got the law, you need to look down and make sure you are walking exactly in the law. And when you do that, what happens? Well, if you're looking down here you're not seeing what's going on there, or what's going on up there when christ came as the fulfillment of the law he made sure his footsteps were in the right place and then he carries you so that you can look up there so you can keep your eyes on jesus and there is no condemnation now because christ has fulfilled the law he can make sure your feet walk that way but the condition is that you're looking there do you remember what I told you last time I came. <laughs> Excellent. Read your Bible, pray every day. We're back there again now. So the law was given for Israel. The law was fulfilled for us that we might have the holiness of God and so that God could live with us. so jesus sits the disciples down and does he go through the ten commandments no we have what we call the beatitudes you could spend ages looking through these i just want to say that the beatitudes are what you look like when you're walking with christ and your eyes are fixed on him blessed is something you have received, not something you can earn. And so this is the character of Christian. This is the character of the person with whom Christ dwells. It's the life of a person given up to Jesus Christ, to walking his way. And remember the line. The moment the moment that you take your eyes back down here, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. Remember where we started. God is more interested in broken relationship than he is in broken law. He doesn't want you looking down and trying to comply with the law. He wants you looking up to Jesus and following him. And I have his Holy Spirit to work in you. So that you are the fulfilment of the law because you are in Christ Jesus. And that's what he calls freedom. That's what he calls life in all his fullness. It's being able to look up rather than down. And when you do look up, you see all sorts of things. You see other people. You start to see the need in individuals. You start to be able to respond to what's going on around about you. You start to be able to lift up prayer and engage God in what you are concerned about in your daily life. So for salt, God has entrusted you. God has entrusted you with bringing godly savor into other people's lives, into this world. God has trusted you to bring his purity into this world. God has entrusted you to witness to an eternal relationship which is salted a covenant with God which is salted which is ensured and is grounded in our sacrifice for Christ you can read Romans 12 when you get home and, and and see how he explains that you are the light of the world isn't that remarkable that jesus has said i am the light of the world you are the light of the world <laughs> it's it's quite mind-boggling what a gift of god not a law not a regulation but a gift a freedom a delight a joy And, and then something slightly, I'm not, I'm not sure that it seems to fit naturally here. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So why is that tucked in there? We tend to think of salt and light and we forget about this city sat on the top of a hill. What is it? Community? Is it church? I'm not entirely sure. You can come tell me your ideas afterwards. But what is it that God wants to be seen? I, I suspect it is the body of Christ, I suspect it is the church. It, it cannot be ignored. And it is about us as individuals together, isn't it? You are the light of the world. We are the city on the hill, perhaps. And then this next bit of light. Can I, can I borrow your matches a minute? I'm fire warden at government Baptist Church. I, I wouldn't be allowed to do it there, but I, can, I think I can do it here. Um, As with many things in scripture, um, it is quite difficult to understand the implications of everything. I believe that in a house, they would have had a small oil lamp about this size, which they would have lit, and it would have burnt with a very quiet, low light. That um, the suggestion here is that the, the light Uh, A lamp here is probably something more than just a candle. Um, But anyway, it says in the um, AV, I think, does it not say that don't hide your light under a bushel? Well, um, uh, from what I can gather, a bushel is probably a wooden vessel, a bit bigger than this, about one and a half gallons. Um, I haven't got a wooden vessel like that, but if I, a bit like a curfew in the Tudor times, if I put that over the light, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> you would expect it to dim down and go out because it's burning up the oxygen. I should just leave it there, for the minute. I don't think it's going to cause any damage. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Can you see the import of that? It may only be a small light, but it's a really, really powerful light. It is the grace and glory of God that's rested in you. It's going out. Yes, my my (laughs) physics works just. Um, so what God has settled in us is his glory (coughs) what right have we in that wonderful presence of God to let it go out (laughs) Um, what what right have we to neglect such a precious gift And and as I say it's no benign light it's not it may be a small flame and it may flicker but it is the power of God to change this world it is the power of God to bring health and strength and healing and salvation and blessing and unity and peace all the things that we desire and they are rested in you because you are the light of the world and if you are the light of the world who is and what is going to change the world we often we often get uh, exercised by the thought that we can't do anything about it but the truth is we can do something about it if only we pray and read the bible we are starting to engage with the power of god to work in our lives and in our communities We've been praying for the town of Godalming. One of the things we we were concerned about was the number of empty shops. We started praying at a prayer group about nine months ago. Uh, If you now walk down the high street in Godalming, they may not be the shops that you want, but about eight shop units have been um, occupied since we started praying. I went into a school the other day um, to do Open the Book, And we normally go in there, there are eight teachers and all these children and and we do a little presentation of scripture and uh, they all get up and they go away and this last one we went in and there was only one teacher in there and at the end of it she stood up and said I was in church on Sunday and I saw some of you in church. And she invited the, the family worker from Busbridge to um, talk to them about coming to church. I, I don't know whether she was really allowed to do that, but the wonder of God at work. We'd been praying for the kids in church that they will hear the gospel. And suddenly we discovered one of the teachers is a believer and was prepared to say to the children, you should be coming to church. God works through our prayers and so this light of the world is is God's presence in a fallen world let your light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven The purpose is not for our benefit, but for the glory of God. As soon as you look down, you're starting to think it's your benefit, your light. But it isn't. It's God's light. God lets your light shine. Another piece of surveyor equipment. I can turn this light on, and I can turn this light off. The only way the light can... Uh, be on in your life is by fixing your eyes on Jesus you can't say I'm going to turn it on now for half an hour I'm going to turn it off now you can't go down to the town and say well I'm going to turn it off while I go to town it's either there or it isn't and it's there because of the you have been entrusted with the price of Christ's life he died and rose again that you might be the light of the world so the beatitudes here are uh, what a Christian uh, given up to Christ looks like you can't take on the characteristics of Christ without submitting to him it's the same with light and salt it's about bringing glory to God they're not things which are given for your Individual benefit. Ultimately, they're there for God's benefit. In John's Gospel, John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. The friend who atti- attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And then the significant bit, he must become greater, I must become less. Are we ready to humble ourselves so that we can be salt and light, part of a town on a hill, to show others the way home? (coughs) And for that ultimate purpose, that God may receive the glory. So how do you mend a broken relationship? Say sorry. Spend time with the person. Share with them. Good, bad. Trust them. Give. Focus on them, put them first. God says exactly the same to us today. Amen.